Thank you very much, Brian. Not a problem. Let's give a big hand to Tommy. Thank you so much, Brian, and, and thank you so much for having me here. Uh, I thought I would start just as Dan has done a little bit and just give some quick reflections on, on what I have learned today. And I think Dan covered most of it, but for me, the, the word that kind of stands out a mile is perseverance. So just kind of hearing some of these stories of, of makers and entrepreneurs um, who have just persevered through so much, whether it's the, my favorite slide of the whole day was the, the solid wall guys and, and showing your kind of journey from that picture of the stuff you'd made like two, three years ago where you just thought there was no hope that this stuff would be suitable to show to your, you know, your family, let alone sell. And, and I, I think we've all been there, that feeling of complete hopelessness that what you've been working on will just never make it. And then fast forward to this most beautiful product um, or, or with Amber and that kind of journey of eight years. Can you imagine doing eight years of, of, of study and then going, I'm not even gonna be in this field anymore. I'm gonna kind of go do something else. And then within nine months, um, you know, making it as, as a developer. Uh, and then journeys with Tristan going from 1990 and kind of leaving it that long to circle back to technology again, uh, or even good old Goddard getting thrown out of design school for drinking too much. Um, I think, you know, and then keep on keeping on going and becoming a legend in his game. So for me, that's, that's what really has stood out. Um, but I am going to talk to you today a little bit about my story of trying to reimagine the Polaroid brand and at the same time during that journey, trying to reimagine the photograph. What is a photograph and how can we completely reimagine that from uh, analog to digital and then all the way back again to analog again? The core uh, was a material. The core was a material. It was a Polaroid photograph, that classic white border, probably the most famous uh, sort of frame in, in, in the history of humanity, apart from a keyhole maybe, that framing of a classic white border, that instant one-of-one one original Polaroid picture. That was the core. And in some ways, we were inspired by the great British company, Burberry, um, who kind of in my lifetime had gone through this transition of being a historic company, a kind of a great brand, and then had become over-licensed and underloved, and had almost died. And great British designer Christopher Bailey managed to kind of bring Burberry back to life by focusing on the core. And for them, it was the trench coat. Again, a material, gabardine, kind of amazing, natural, um, waterproof material. And so Burberry kind of scrapped almost all their other products. They focused on the trench coat, and they said, this is what we stand for. And then they layered onto that heritage and that brand history, cutting-edge innovation. So they became the leader in kind of in-store digital innovation. And so that was a good lesson for us. It was simplify things, go back to your core. For us, it was, it was the photograph. So to me, this is Polaroid. Andy Warhol. Innovation, kind of a rebel brand. And Polaroid had been the kind of brand of artists going all the way back to Ansel Adams, the great American photographer. Ansel Adams was brought on by the founder of Polaroid, Edward Land, to be a consultant for the company and to really help them keep honest so they weren't just trying to do stuff for money, they were trying to create great art. And so Land, the founder, created the Polaroid Artist Support Program, where he helped people like Warhol and David Hockney and Ansel Adams give them film and cameras, and in return, these artists would use this new medium and create art with it. And that was something really, really special. But to me, this was Polaroid. It was, it was the Polaroid picture. So we, uh, myself and my co-founder, we acquired the rights to a Polaroid license. 
and we said, we're going to start again from, from scratch and treat Polaroid like a startup, go back to the core. We persuaded a guy called Biz Stone, who's the founder of Twitter, to join us as our kind of adult supervision, as our, our wise chairman, uh, who had been there and done it with Twitter. And he helped us move our headquarters, uh, not in Minnetonka, but in San Francisco and New York. And we hired a fantastic team of, of people. So our engineers were former Apple engineers who really understood the iPhone camera. Because we kind of thought we're going to build the first ever downloadable Polaroid camera where you can create some of that magic and have it in your phone. So we needed this team of fantastic iOS engineers from Apple. And we also hired a brilliant designer, creative director, who's a good friend of Dan Rubin's, who introduced us, actually, uh, a guy called Cole Rise. And Cole Rise's great claim to fame was he invented a lot of the original Instagram filters. So if you go on Instagram later, you'll see a filter called Rise, which is named after himself. Um, and he also invented the Instagram logo, which was a bit of a ripoff of a Polaroid camera. Um, but we don't hold that against him. So Cole was our creative director. Um, and so we said, OK, we've got this license to kind of bring Polaroid back to life. What are we going to do? This was a, a great, another great example. This was David Hockney's kind of collage of, of Polaroids. And we started looking more and more at the past. We thought, if we're going to create a future for Polaroid, we have to look back at the past and really try and understand that. And there was a great kind of vision and purpose ready-made for us through the story of Edwin Land, the founder who I mentioned. And this guy, Edwin Land, had invented instant photography um, from scratch, from nowhere, uh, back in, in the 40s. And I'll, I'll kind of briefly digress to tell you how he did that, because it's kind of an inspirational story. So Edwin Land was a kind of young guy traveling in New Mexico, where the light is really beautiful. And he was just taking photographs. Um, and his little daughter, Caroline, was there. Um, and she said, she was about six. And she said, Dad, I want, I want to see it. Show me the photo. And he was like, well, I can't. We've got to go back to New York or Boston. And we've got to develop it. And it will take about four weeks. And you can, sorry, you can't see it. And so Caroline turned to Dr. Land and said, you're the worst dad in the world. Uh, I want to see it right now. And he was like one of these kind of crazy inventor types, sort of hyper-competitive. And he was like, no, I'm not the worst dad in the world. And he kind of literally locks himself away in a room for 24 hours and just came up with this concept of instant photography. So as Dan was talking about, the idea of you would literally press a button and this thing would come out and it would be there. Magic, complete magic. No one else had thought about this and he did it. It took him years and years. Second World War kind of got in the way and he spent most of the Second World War um, inventing things like anti-glare goggles for the Allied pilots and kind of helped win the war and then got back to his mission of instant photography and made that happen. The rest was history. But that was kind of our, our kind of North Star was with this guy, Edwin Land, the founder of Polaroid. So I'm going to show you now a quick video of uh, our launch video from last summer, and we'll talk about what we launched. But these were the words um, of Edwin Land that you'll hear. And it's amazing. He kind of foresees mobile photography. Um, and he kind of had a higher purpose for it than perhaps his protege, Steve Jobs, managed to implement to Apple because he thought about it in a very, very special way. So I'll kind of leave it to Edwin Land. was in the image itself. We have to go back to 1944 for the very first concept of a kind of photography that would become part of the human being, an adjunct to your memory, something that was always with you, so that when you looked at something, 
you could, in effect, press a button and have a record of it in its accuracy, its intricacy, its beauty, have that forever. kind of amazing idea that, I don't know if you, you could hear the audio too clearly, but this amazing idea of, of mobile photography as an adjunct to your memory, deeply connected with the, with the person, with the physical person and the physical world. That's where he saw mobile photography going. And so, so Lamb was our inspiration. And, but then we had to kind of go, okay, let's look back at history. Let's look at the history of the image and let's look at the history of the photograph. And this is how I think, you know, our journey ties into today and to material. Because, you know, in my view, the history of the image and the, and the photograph is a history of a kind of a transition, a transition from a very tangible material object to a kind of deluge of immaterial JPEGs that we have on the internet. It's kind of deluge of, of JPEGs. Um, and, and in some ways, a transition of photography from being the servant of humanity to being the master of humanity. And how do we reverse that is, is where we kind of started to come in. Um, so before, in the old days, if you wanted to depict something and show it visually, you had to paint it, obviously. And human beings are kind of born to see before we talk. We're really good at that, really good at looking at stuff and painting stuff. So in the old days, if you wanted to paint a war, for example, or show a war, you'd have to paint it. And the victors would kind of record history and they would paint history. And that was the only way. So you have kind of images of war, for example, which were you know, glorifying it and showing off the great side of the victors. And that was it. That's all that you got to see. Before, in 1826, we used chemicals and light boxes to create a photograph. And photographs did loads of great things. They did lots of amazing art, and they enabled lots of art, like we've seen with Warhol and Hockney and so on. But they also served a real social purpose, a real, real big impact on the world that photography had. So, for example, war photography in the 20th century for the first time, you could actually have a record of what was happening on the front line and show it to people. And so images like this would have this huge impact echoing down history, which would change the way we think about society, about our leaders. They would really change things. Photography became incredibly powerful. And in the environment as well, you know, we took cameras to the moon. And for the first time, we saw this kind of fragile blue marble. And, and the environmental movement was born. We suddenly thought, this is a very fragile earth that we are existing on, it's not gonna last forever and we better take care of it. And it was images like this that kind of really helped to re make us rethink our place in, in society. So photography can have a huge impact. And it wasn't just kind of grand stuff like, like the moon and war. Edwin Lang came along and he invented instant photography and he said the purpose of inventing instant photography was to make available a new medium of expression for those with an artistic curiosity in the world around them. Bit of a mouthful, but that was our North Star, this new medium of expression. And suddenly, you kind of had uh, cameras and photographs came with us everywhere, to weddings and funerals and parties and Saturdays and Sundays, and they were just everywhere. Half of American homes had a Polaroid camera. And it meant that we could go around the world and we could have our, our kind of images with us. And it was so tactile. This is a, like a 
picture from my kind of family album of me and my, my mates when we were young. And, you know, I can touch this. I've got this physically at home. And I can touch it and I can almost be on that bench or I can be touching the plastic of my best friend's terrible fake Oakley sunglasses. And, but, you know, you can go back there. You can, you can almost taste it. And, and so photography did this amazing thing. It helped us kind of create memory. I don't probably really remember that, but I think I do because of the photograph, and it creates memory. So really, really special, and I think all really positive. But somewhere between that previous photo in 1992 and this photograph in 2013 at Obama's uh, second inaugural ball, I think photography changed, and I think it changed us. Obviously, mobile photography came along, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, and to an extent, I think we, start to, we started to let photography define experience rather than experiencing defining photography. And what I mean by that is that all of the people who are at the inaugural ball, and I, I, went, I was lucky enough to go to one in 2008, they're an amazing experience. Not a single person in that room is experiencing that moment really. They're all experiencing it through an iPhone or through a, a, a smartphone. And to me, this is like an incredibly sad image. Really sad because it, I think it's like we, we've let cameras in some ways take over from the physical world. And I just want to say like, that is only one view of it. And I think Dan spoke so eloquently about the positives of Instagram and Twitter. Um, and in a way that you know, the digital retains its connection with the physical because things like Instagram have made the physical world so much more beautiful. I was at a restaurant the other night and, and they brought out a tray of Aperol spritzes, the, the, this drink, which has become so popular because of Instagram. Drinks are like way more beautiful than they were 10 years ago because of Instagram. Um, restaurants change their plates to make them cleaner white to look better on Instagram. Restaurant design is completely changed because of how things will look on Instagram. And I think that's fantastic. And I think it's fantastic that the material world is affected by the digital world in terms of people meeting each other. Like me and Dan met through the internet and I'm only here with through Dan to Brian because of the internet. And so there is that connection with the physical world and that's brilliant. But I think something has been lost. I think we've let photography in some sense go too far. The other, the other positive I'll just quickly mention, national park attendance in the US was kind of going like this for years. And then Instagram was launched about here and suddenly everyone's going to national parks because Instagram is driving them to go and experience that, take photos. So that's fantastic. But I think we do spend a bit too much doing stuff like this. So there's a great Alain de Botton quote, which is that the greatest challenge of the modern marriage is to be more interesting than your partner's smartphone. <laughs> and I think that is so true. I fail that test every day. And I think in some ways, the bad side of kind of social media and social photography is that it has made us in a way unexpressive and isolated and very jealous and not talking to each other, not feeling the, the physical world. And I think that's not such a good thing because I think if you become disconnected from the materiality of the physical world, I think it affects your health, your happiness, um, your feeling. And our ancestors were acutely aware of the physical world. If you think about kind of our ancestors foraging you would have to know the physical world so well. You were so connected because you would be looking for that poisonous mushroom versus the mushroom that wasn't going to kill you. 
And we used to be so good at that, so connected to the physical world. And I think this image, beautiful image, shows us having been disconnected somewhat from that physical world. So we didn't want to create another social platform that would kind of allow people just to mindlessly scroll through and veg out and be disconnected. We wanted to do something different. So we returned to this purpose. The purpose of inventing instant photography was to make available a new medium. So this idea of a medium, I think, implies materiality, whether it's online or offline, a physicality. A new medium of expression for people with an artistic curiosity in the world around them. We wanted people to look up, and we wanted people to feel a medium. So it had to be tactile. So we set out to reimagine the, photog the photograph. And what we wanted to do is to bring a new dimension to photography, and that was time. So we wanted to break out of this idea of you could have a black and white photograph or a color photograph. We wanted to make a photograph move. Because we, we kind of looked at the world and we thought, if you think about your most iconic memory, that memory, you don't kind of see it as a snapshot, a still snapshot. But you also don't think in, mem in videos, right? You don't think in huge, long videos. If you think about, you know, your, your parents smiling at you or your first kiss or kind of your partner's hair whistling in the wind, you kind of almost think in slow motion. And you know when people talk about, you know, like they saw a car crash that happened in slow motion. That's kind of how we think that human beings see the world in, the, in these moments. So what if you could make a photograph move? And what if you could touch it and bring it to life? That was our kind of initial thought. So the quickest way to kind of make that happen over the last few years was an iPhone app. So we launched an app called Swing. And what it is is it allows you to take a button, to press a button on your, on your phone, and then to capture an image, still image, and then reach into that image with your hand and touch it and bring it to life and make it move. Or you can tilt your phone backwards and forwards and kind of see people kind of move. Uh, you can download it, SWNG, Polaroid Swing, on the App Store, and you can kind of see what I mean. It's quite hard to demonstrate through a video, but I'm going to show you some other stuff in a minute. So we launched that in July of 2016, about a year ago. Um, and people liked it. Apple got really behind it. Um, so Apple featured it as the main App Store um, app, and it is available um, in every single Apple retail store in the world, 500 stores around the world, they used it to show off the physicality of the new iPhone because it's all about touch. And I think that's why people liked it because it's kind of like a Polaroid picture in that it's physical again. That was really important. How can you make people, instead of like staring mindlessly at a screen, how can you make the screen physical? So to, to play with these images, you've got to go into a screen and you've got to touch it. And so that was kind of step one for us. And to kind of delve back into the history and how it all connects, what we wanted to do was to go back to this idea of materiality and tactility that you had in old Polaroid pictures. And the Polaroid on the left was taken by an artist called Samaras. And he was our complete inspiration with this because he used to take his Polaroid pictures and he would bake them in the oven or he would smear them. And you can kind of see those thinners and those dyes and those chemicals and he would smear them and create his art that way. And we just thought that was so cool. And when we looked at kind of our five-year-old cousins and nephews and nieces, and, and we saw them kind of playing with these quite sterile tablets, we just thought they should be doing that. They should be kind of grabbing chemicals and threatening to eat them and getting their parents to be kind of totally worried about it and, and reconnecting with the physical world. So we thought we should, we should make stuff move again. Um, the image on the right is one of Hockney's collages again. And 
that kind of also inspired us, this idea that you know, everyone had them at home. You'd make your own photo collages on the wall and you'd get so physical about it. And then Hockney went and did it and just made it even better because he was a genius. But we wanted to return to that physicality and, th and that's what we've been working on. This is something that Brian Eno, the, uh, I guess the inventor of ambient music, or one of them, uh, what he said, he was also the producer of U2, he said that whatever you now find weird, ugly, uncomfortable, and nasty about a new medium will surely become its signature. CD distortion, the jitteriness of digital video, the crap sound of 8-bit, all of these will be cherished and emulated as soon as they can be avoided. I think that is just brilliant. I think that is just absolutely fantastic. Um, I was lucky enough to, to be taught by Brian, and he taught me about this idea of beautiful mistakes that I think is, again, somewhat lost in the digital world. Um, like with Polaroid pictures, they were kind of expensive, and if you screwed it up, you'd be so annoyed. But then actually, you'd look back, and it'd be kind of cool, the kind of color distortions and, and these beautiful mistakes. And we want people to make beautiful mistakes. That's kind of a bit of magic in the world, that not, things aren't perfect, and that's, that's beautiful. And that yearning for kind of beautiful mistakes and the ugliness and the distortion and the jitteriness, that is becoming a massive business. So this chart shows the increase in sales by units of vinyl uh, from the year 2000 to the present day. So vinyl sales have increased 1,200% in a decade, which is insane. And for the first time ever, vinyl is a billion dollar business. It never got to be a billion dollar business before. It's now a billion dollar business. Vinyl is a, makes more money for the record companies than uh, unpaid streaming. So kind of ad-based streaming is, is, no, is now smaller than vinyl. So this is, is not kind of just a, a bunch of enthusiasts like us kind of messing around in our lab in San Francisco. There's a global trend now where people are desperate to get their hands on things and to touch a record. And it's the same with instant photo sales. So not kind of smart instant photo like what we're doing, but just regular instant photography with things like Fujifilm. That's also a billion dollar market again now, um, having been dead, completely dead. The best selling camera on, on Amazon is, is a instant camera. So this is back and it's alive and it's well and, it, and it's really exciting. Like it's really, really exciting. And it's not just people sort of 40, 50, it's like 12 year olds and 13 year olds. They're obsessed, they're like, okay, I wanna touch it. I wanna, I wanna be there in the room with it. So that's really exciting. And you know, in some ways it's kind of back to the future. It's back to the crazy guys like Warhol who are messing around with this stuff and creating art with their fingers by touching stuff. And it's about kind of reconnecting with a beautiful, messy, physical world. But the cool thing is we can bring the internet along for the ride with us. We can go back to this stuff and then we can inject the best of the digital world into it to make it even more exciting. Um, and I think it's time, you know, the last thing I'll say, I think it's time for experience to drive photography again. Let's kind of go out, look up, enjoy the world, and kind of use photography to record that as an adjunct to our memory, like, like Dr. Land said. Um, I've been massively inspired by all of the kind of hybrids that we've seen today, ranging from purely physical to purely digital. But like Dan said, it's the stuff in, in between that I think is really exciting. If you take the best of the physical world, connect it with the best of the digital, I think that's where the magic happens. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tommy. That's a tough act to follow. 